Hi there, and welcome to The Good News According to Job. And uh, this week we are looking at Job's response to Eliphaz, and we are going to be picking up at Job 6, uh, 6 and 7. And we're going to take a look and just see what he all has to say, and how he uh, continues to wrestle with himself and his circumstance, as well as with the friends around him, uh, and what they are saying and how they are doing what they are doing. Uh, but to begin this week, I thought we can uh, read a psalm together. So I'm going to read for us Psalm 8. And uh, just to contemplate and soak in it and hear what the psalmist has to say. And uh, use that as a, a bit of a backdrop on the psalm that, uh, on Job that we are going to be looking at today. So let me read for us Psalm 8. The Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I thought this would be a nice psalm to start off with, a wonderful psalm, contemplating just the immenseness, the majestic, uh, how majestic God is, uh, the Lord God is. And so uh, I thought that this would be great uh, just to weigh up what the psalmist is saying to begin with, how uh, wonderful, awe-inspiring, uh, how splendid, how beyond understanding God is. And as the psalmist writes it, it almost feels as though the psalmist is lying on his back, looking up at the heavens and uh, calling out to God and saying, what is man in, in all of your creation? What is man, this, this speck of dust on this earth? What is man that you uh, consider him, that you think about him? And uh, we're going to come back to the psalm and just see how it plays a, a bit of uh, plays, a bit, plays a bit with our minds, in one sense, with uh, Job's words and what he has to say in today's section. Uh, hopefully you've read through Job 6 and 7, however. And uh, just to pick up, pick up uh, where we are at, uh, what is interesting is to notice what Job says in verses 2 and 3. I'll read that for us. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas, and I'm going to stop there. It, it just shows the extent, the extent of how uh, how much pain and suffering and and hurt uh, Job is experiencing through what has happened to him, and so he looks at it and he says that that what I'm experiencing is outweighed would be outweighed if I could weigh it by the grains of sand on the sea. Um, but then he carries on. And he says, no wonder my words have been impetuous. Uh, so what he is saying is, no wonder my words have been quick or harsh or uh, rash. Uh, I've 
spoken without thinking, he is saying. Uh, and this gets us to ask a question, well, where has he spoken without thinking or too quickly? Uh, where has he spoke, spoken impetuously? Uh, some of us might want to f- say and think that he is saying that he has spoken impetuously in chapter 3, where Job curses the day of his birth. Uh, where he curses the very existence in one sense of, of his life and how he is so inflicted by pain and that he would rather die. And we want to argue on one side that this is where Job is being impetuous. But the problem with this argument is that what he goes on to say doesn't seem to contradict that. He says this uh, as, as he goes on in verse 8. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut off my life. So this contradicts that thought, that if he was impetuous in saying what he said in in chapter 3, then he wouldn't go on to say what he says here in verse 8 and 9. But perhaps where he has been impetuous is if we turn back uh, to Job 1. And consider what he has said there in, jo- in chapter 1, verse 21, and, and said, this is what Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then if we flip again to chapter, uh, to chapter 2, and what Job says to his wife, he, he says this to her. Uh, he said, you are talking like a fool, in verse 10. You are talking like a fool, a foolish woman. Uh, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And so if you listen to those words that he has spoken and what he says now, or at least in chapter 3 and again in 6 and 7, it seems that he is overweighed by the burden of all the loss and the hurt and the pain that he is currently uh, dealing with, the suffering that he is facing. So when he says, I have been impetuous in what I've said, he has not, he's not denying what he is saying or what he has said, but what he is uh, wrestling with is the fact that perhaps he's been impetuous in saying that I will praise God despite uh, having lost uh, my household, my family, my children, my uh, servants, uh, and all my wealth. And, and then to still say to his wife, that uh, do we only accept good from God and not the bad? Now, he's not trying to contradict that. He's not trying to say you, you shouldn't. But it is far harder uh, to, to deal with it as it sinks in. So if you have gone through something incredibly difficult in life, uh, something incredib- incredibly painful in life and where you have suffered, what often happens is we are caught up in the moment and there is this almost adrenaline moment in, in dealing with a, a crisis in which we are capable of making decisions and thinking to some degree quite clearly. It's not always the case, but often we can, we can see that there is this moment where we think clearly, we can see reason to some degree, we can respond in a way that seems legitimate and right, we can give praise to God, uh, we can thank Him. But as time settles and sinks in and and the situation and what's happened sinks in and the reality of it sinks in, in the case of Job, for example, who's lost his children, just as one of the examples, as that starts to sink in, 
the the ability to continue to say what he said in the beginning becomes a little bit harder. And what that does for us is it shows to us that this is um, human. This is human a human response. And Job is not superhuman. He's not beyond this world and beyond the sufferings that he faces. And by saying that he was impetuous is to suggest that he is, a, he is recognizing that though what he has said in his heart is true, it is a difficult reality to, to accept. So the rashness or the, the impetuousness of his words is more in the fact that he spoke them quickly and almost without thinking. Uh, but when the rubber meets the road, it does, uh, it does get difficult and it is hard. Not that it's untrue. But it is tough. It is hard. And that's why he starts in the way that he does. That his anguish, if it could be weighed, would outweigh the grains of sand on the seashore. And so this is the introduction that we have to this section of, of what Job is saying. That his pain, his anguish is so immense. And that what he said in the beginning was almost impetuous. He said it so quickly. It was his knee-jerk reaction is to say that God has given and God has taken away and blessed be the name of the Lord, or I will praise God. Uh, And as time unfolds, it feels challenging. It feels difficult because life, it doesn't work that, that smoothly and that easily to say that you will do it and that it will be accepted and you'll do it. Job is realizing that he is suffering. This is painful and it hurts. And so what he says in verse 8 and 9 then makes sense. That he is calling out to God and he is saying, God, I hope that you will hear what I asked you in in the previous uh, thing that I said in Job 3. And that you would crush me rather than let me continue. But there is reason why he says this. And it's quite an incredible reason. It's, It's again not entirely wrong. Uh, why he has said it. Listen to what he says in verse 10 now. Then I would still have this consolation. Not that I would get out of this world and I wouldn't have to suffer anymore, but I would have this one consolation, my joy in unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Job's concern is that he will continue to suffer and the pain of his suffering gets more and more excruciating and that he will end up denying the word of the Lord, that he will end up denying the Holy One. So that's actually an incredible thing to say. How many of us, when we are hit with suffering and hardship, will say, God, do something about the situation uh, to me, get rid of me, remove me out of the situation, so that at least I can still know that, I, that I'm holding on to you rather than getting so bogged down by the hard uh, suffering difficulty of life that I deny you. And, and so in one sense, it's, it's almost weird. It sounds very much like what Paul would have said in, as we hear in, in the New Testament where he says uh, to, to, to live is Christ but to die is gain. He's got this idea that To live, he does it for Christ and for Christ's sake, but to die is gain because he he doesn't then have to endure the hardship and the suffering of this life. And so it's almost Job-like, as we hear Job say here, that he would rather be crushed than than to deny uh, the words of the Holy One. So that's really actually quite a, I almost want to say a noble and a beautiful thing that he is saying. And 
And so that's, that's his heart. He is suffering. He is experiencing hardship. And he's being honest about it. He's bearing his heart. He's saying, look, I've spoken quickly in, at one point, and I recognize that. But at the same time, I am so filled with pain and suffering that I don't know what to do anymore. I'd rather, I'd rather have it that God would take me out, that I know that I never denied him, than continue and struggle and possibly deny him uh, in the future. Beyond that, Job is suffering. He's experiencing hardship, and not any more in isolation, not by himself. He's now got friends sitting around him. And this becomes his response to them if we go a little bit further down. He says this in verse um, verse 14. Anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams, as the streams that overflow when darkened by thawing ice and swollen with melting snow, but that stop flowing in the dry season and in the heat vanish from their channels. He is saying that in light of simply at least what we hear is one person's response, and that's Eliphaz. In light of that already, he is saying, my friends are undependable, unreliable. I, I am suffering, I'm experiencing pain, and, and I can't rely on them. Because one minute they're there, and the next minute they're not. They are, their words are not comfort. Their words are not uh, constant. They are not uh, there like, uh, like water. Uh, and it's interesting that he uses the image of a river. It is something, it is a source of life. It is something that we all need. We need water, especially a water, water that is running through a desert or a, or a wilderness. Uh, to, to know that there is water and life, uh, it, it's, it's comforting. But to, ha- to call friends uh, intermittent streams, streams that stop flowing and then that flow again, that freeze and that dry up. And it's, he's saying this is, this is not helpful. What I need is is that constant uh, flowing of of a stream of friends that will support and be there for me and that are reliable, that won't be here one season and are gone another season. So that's interesting. Perhaps he's suggesting more than that, but we're not going to read too deeply into that. But he is already at this point pointing out the fact that his friends aren't, uh, aren't necessarily there. Uh, in the capacity of being a consistent uh, reality in his life. They're not consistently uh, a stream to him, especially in this circumstance, but perhaps in all circumstances in his life, that they are there at times, but not always. So this is this is really the 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 context and the weight in which uh, Job is wrestling through these things. He again he's in anguish, he's suffering, he's in pain, but he'd rather be crushed by God than to deny God. Uh, but what he does long for is, on some level, uh, friends that will sit around him and that will give him counsel, give him helpful, sound counsel. He goes further in verse 25 of chapter 6, and he says, How painful are honest words! But what do your arguments prove? Do you mean to correct what I say and treat my dis- my desperate words as wind? So here he's taking it even further, looking at them, and he's saying, how, how painful are honest words? And, and I, I'm, I'm, in one sense, I'm willing to hear these words that could be painful. But my friends, what they are saying, their arguments are not proving anything. Their words aren't just, they aren't honest. They're just painful. 
So what they speak is just hurting me. It is not, uh, it is not honest to me. And we see that that's true. When we looked at Eliphaz last week, we, we were able to say that what Eliphaz has said may be true, but it is not relevant or applicable to Job's circumstance. And so in, in light of what Job is saying here, what they have said may be honest in a different category or in a different circumstance, but they're not honest to Job's circumstance, to what he's facing and what he's going through. And so they simply are painful. And so that is why he he asked the question in verse 26, do you mean to correct what I say and treat my desperate words as wind? Uh, he goes further to say, you you actually are, you're not even listening to what I'm saying. You're, you're disregarding it. You're, you're letting it go uh, and you're treating it like wind. Uh, and that's quite a harsh thing um, in one sense for Job to say, but but true if we if we look in light of what Eliphaz has already said to Job, that in one sense Eliphaz has has treated Job's words as wind, uh, and and wanted to find what is the problem, asking the why question uh, rather than looking to God, uh, to the who, and asking the who question, and bringing Job out of that pit and pointing him to God. And it's interesting that it's Job in this context that is uh, trying to hold on to God. Uh, more so than ask uh, wrestling with uh, what's happening in his life or the why question. He is filled with anguish and that's a reality for him. But he's trying so hard to hold on to God and not let go. Uh, and therefore he would rather die and uh, be crushed by God than to let go of God. Uh, but his friends aren't there uh, in the capacity to, to lift him up and, and point him to God and help him out of the pit that he's in. And so he feels that they are trying to build an argument rather against him uh, and speak uh, words that are actually, they are more painful than they are honest and, and therefore painful. So that's where Job is at in the first, uh, first chapter here of chapter 6. Um, and so he, he kind of, he's wrestling with himself in one sense, but he's wrestling uh, with this this aspect of his relationship with God. And so we see the wisdom that seeps through of, of who Job is. That Job's wisdom that comes to the surface is one of which, uh, though it seems harsh, he's saying he would rather be crushed by God himself uh, than to deny uh, the words of the Holy One. Moving on to chapter 7, what we can pick up here in verse 1, he says, Do not mortals have uh, have service on earth are not their days like those of hired laborers like a slave longing for the evening shadow, uh, for the evening shadows or a hired laborer waiting to be paid so i have been allotted months of utility and nights of misery have been assigned to me and so job paints this picture for us that he is He's like a laborer that has been toiling, working hard in the sun uh, and is exhausted and longs for that rest. And, and he's basically he's equating like a laborer or a, server, a, a person that is, uh, is toiling the land, uh, longs for that shade, longs for that rest. He is in the same way being toiling in his suffering and he is longing for that rest from this life of pain. Uh, and so that's quite a strong image that he paints and, and that he builds on even further. He goes on in verse 5 and he says, 
Um, or actually, let's look at verse 4. He says, When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss and turn until dawn. So in verse 4, he's highlighting really this this image of when he when he lies down, he wants to get up. He wants to... Uh, he can't lie anymore, and but yet there's this image that the night drags on is slightly more poetic in that sense. That he is saying that this this suffering is like night, and it is uh, constantly dragging on. It there's just there seems to be no light at the end of this tunnel. There's no day coming, uh, and then he goes on. My in verse five, my body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. Uh, and you just see the, the extent of his brokenness. His, his own body is, is broken and festering and, and worms and, or maggots are, are consuming him. And, and in one sense, he's painting a picture of being this, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, living dead. He is like a zombie in this world uh, where he is uh, both with one foot in the grave and one foot out, uh, being uh, busy decomposing as a human being, um, but yet clinging on because he is not yet dead. Um, and then he goes on in verse 6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. Uh, and he's, you see the weight just being added and added and added uh, to his longing to, to no longer have to suffer in this world. And then uh, verse 9, he, he says this as a bit of a concluding thought to, to the weight of things. He says, as a cloud vanishes and is gone, so one who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. And he's saying here that eventually when, his, when he does die, when, his, when he breathes his final breath, he will disappear from this world and he will be forgotten. Uh, his life will be uh, but forgotten as a, it will be no more. And so he looks at that and he says, for all this pain and suffering, to get to the end of it and uh, to, to be a, no, not even a memory. My house will not even remember me. Uh, and so everything in that sense becomes uh, meaningless, uh, meaningless in this life. So a similar kind of language uh, that you will find in Ecclesiastes begins to seep into, into Job here as well, where he also contemplates the meaninglessness of things, and he does touch on that a little bit later. Uh, let's look at verse eleven quickly. There he says, "Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul." And up front, we want to first say a bit short. That that seems quite uh, quite harsh. Can you do that? Are you allowed to do it? Uh, but as as we read through it and as we wrestle with it, it, it it's quite incredible that Job gets to a point where he says, I'm going to speak my, my mind, my heart. I'm going to speak out of the pain and the anguish that I'm facing. I'm going to say what I am feeling. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul, he goes, uh, he goes to say. Uh, and that's quite a, a vivid image, but he is he's saying, I will complain. I can't pretend that it's not here. It is here. I would be impetuous uh, like I was before if I pretended or tried uh, or I'd become a liar for that matter if I tried that it, uh, tried to say anything other than it being difficult. Um, it is what it is. And so Job is willing to admit it. 
and to, to admit to that. And then uh, just once more in, in verse 13, he says, uh, When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, uh, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions. And so he says that even, even in trying to get rest and physical rest in this world, uh, he is frightened. He is stirred from his sleep. He cannot sleep. So his spirit is uh, filled with anguish, um, but there is no rest. There's no rest during his suffering, but there's no rest during his sleep, his rest, his, his lying down. And he feels that God has, has, uh, is all around him. And that really is highlighted in the beginning of this uh, this chapter where he does point out and he says uh, in in verse 4 of chapter 6 he says the arrows of the mighty are in me my spirit drinks in their poison God's terrors are marshaled against me and really that's what he's done this whole section he's really just painted uh, how those terrors how those that that poison arrow is in him and how it looks uh, and so he fleshes that out and paints that for us um, so it's quite a heavy heavy section of of Job and what he has to say. Perhaps not as heavy as what we found in Job 3, but you can see the continuation of his thought and how how it develops and how there's slight refining of his thoughts that he's saying, now he doesn't just curse the day of his birth, but he will rather have that God crushes him than to deny God. But then he feels tormented in this life and how difficult it is uh, suffering the way he is suffering. But then Job does something very interesting, and this is the reason why I wanted us to look at at Psalm 8. Because uh, what Job does is, in one sense, he creates an anti-psalm, kind of flipping Psalm 8 on its head. Uh, And look look with me in verse 17 uh, of chapter 7, what he says there. What is man that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention? that you examine them every morning and test them every moment. Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? And so we just pause there for a moment. He, he highlights this picture of almost, almost Psalm 8, but has flipped it on its head. Instead of saying, what is man or what is man that you, that you consider him or are mindful of him in a... In a in looking at God's majestic, uh, how majestic he is, here Job instead, he, he says this and says, why do you have to look at me? Please stop looking at me because when you look at me, I feel afflicted. I feel hurt. I feel pain. I feel suffering. Um, and that's why he says that, that you examine them every morning and test them every moment. You will never look away from me or let me alone, even for an instant. And then he goes on in verse 20 and he says, If I have sinned, what have I done to you? He says, "Who uh, You who see everything we do. Why have you made me your target? So he asks two questions here. He says, If I have sinned, then uh, what is it? What have I done? You've seen everything. What have I done? Uh, Job knows to some degree that he is blameless before God. He has dealt with his sin. He's been meticulous about it. And so here he says, what have I done? And then he says, why do you make me your target? Why do you make me your target? And so in the back of our minds, we know that this is, there is no reason. There isn't a reason that Job is God's target. Outright, uh, in one sense, from what we are told up front. 
the, in, the afflictions that he is facing is not because he has done something. That's not why God has targeted Job. Uh, and then he goes on to say, you have become, uh, you have I become a burden to you, he asks. And then he carries on. Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? So Job is now asking a crucial question. He's saying, if I've sinned, what have I done? What have I done to have sinned against you, Lord? You know that. And then he goes on and he says, but if I haven't sinned, then why are you targeting me, essentially? And then he says, but if I have sinned, uh, then what he is asking is, why haven't you forgiven my sin? Because Job knows that he has at least done his best to repent of his sins. Uh, because he is called blameless. And so when he calls out to God and he says, why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? He is in one sense, it seems like he's challenging God. Uh, but if we know the bigger picture, we know that this isn't the case. Job is exploring an area where he is contemplating now and thinking perhaps there is something. But if there is something, then what is it and why is it that God is targeting me? Uh, and why is it that God wouldn't forgive me? Because I, if I'm not mistaken, and if I am blameless, I have dealt with my sins. And that is who we are dealing with here with Job. And then he says the second half of verse 21, For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search me, but I will be no more. And it seems quite final in one sense what Job is saying here, that he is getting to the end. And he is going to lie down and he is going to he is going to fade into dust. He is going to return to the very uh, dust from which he was created. And uh, and he really looks at in one sense it's a it's a it's an exploration of his life to some degree and the suffering that he is enduring and facing. And he is calling out to God and he is really saying, God, cut me off, uh, in the sense of uh, crush me. Uh, destroy me, take my life from me, because I don't want to deny you. I don't want to deny who you are and who, who I serve. Uh, but this is too painful. This hurts way too much. Uh, and so what's so beautiful about what Job is saying here is the honesty in his words, uh, the suffering that he faces, the hardship that he faces. Uh, but there is someone else that also has experienced this extent of suffering. Uh, we can't fully understand the gravity of maybe what Job is facing, but there is someone that understands it far better. And perhaps these words uh, and this picture that Job paints is similar. The level of anguish, the level of suffering, the level of, of terror, almost to some degree, that, that Job is facing here, and the longing uh, not to have to endure that form of suffering. Um, and that we see... Uh, in a slightly reversed uh, character to Job. Job experiences suffering and longs to escape it. But when we turn to Jesus Christ, he knows he needs to suffer and endures to the cross. So that's what sets Jesus apart in that regard. Uh, Job has suffered and no longer wants to suffer. He is tormented by his suffering. Whereas Christ is tormented in a whole different way. Uh, that when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he calls out to, the to his father and he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup of suffering. That he, he is filled with anguish, not because he is suffering, but because he knows he still has to suffer. 
I think that's probably one of the most mind-warping uh, things to have to deal with, is not so much the idea of dealing with suffering once you've already suffered, but to know that you are going to suffer uh, and haven't yet gotten there uh, to the extent that Christ did. Christ knew that he was going to die, knew that he was going to be handed over, knew that he was going to to be marred to some degree, and knew that it was going to be painful, excruciating. And so when we, when we consider Christ in light of Job here, uh, we see that Christ has taken it to a whole new level, and that he has endured uh, suffering to come. And that paints quite a beautiful picture for us. Uh, that he he not only s- suffered for what has been, but he was actually waiting to suffer uh, what would come. And that's true for us, that Christ has, has endured all the things that are surrounding the cross, all the suffering, all the hardship, all the torment, all the anguish, all of that uh, for our sake. And where Job is suffering and longing for it, we again see God's wisdom coming in and saying, what Job was longing for, uh, great, but it needed so much more. Uh, what Job needed uh, was the certainty of salvation at the end of the day. For God to crush him uh, would leave him without the certainty of salvation. Uh, but uh, there is that certainty that only God can save. And we'll pick up on the idea uh, that God does ask this question later on to Job. Uh, who are you? If you can save yourself, then save yourself, essentially, becomes the question. But it's only Christ that can save. And so it is only Christ that can save us from our suffering. It is only Christ who can save us from the, in one sense, the bigger picture, the penalty of sin and death. And so when Job asked that question, what have I done? Uh, For us, we know that we must have done something, and we do many things that are wrong. Whereas Job was blameless, he had dealt with it, whereas with us, we are, uh, I think we are far less uh, able to say what Job said or be far less, uh, in one sense, blameless than what Job is. And yet, uh, we can call out to God because of His Son, Jesus Christ, who took it the full extent. And then what we do is, instead of getting to the end of chapter 7 like Job does and and having this almost more of a lament than a Psalm 8. Uh, We can then go back to Psalm 8 and reiterate those words once more and say, God, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that you consider us? What are we? We are specks of dust in this world that have sinned against you, and yet you have sent your son for us uh, to die and to suffer for our sake. So hopefully that will get you to think and challenge you a little bit and encourage you. Uh, But continue to wrestle with Job. And next week we'll look at the next uh, next section. We'll look at Bildad and what he has to say. And take some time and read through that. But I encourage you to spend more time. Read through what we've already looked at. Read through Job 1 through to 7 now again. And just contemplate it again. And go and work through the videos again if you must. But just think it through. Uh, Wrestle with it. Uh, and reread and reread. Uh, but yeah, I hope that this challenges you and encourages you, uh, and we'll see you all next week. Cheers. Bye.